John chapter number 2, we have been uh, encouraged by the Word of God and by uh, John. Well, in the spirit of the NFL, today is game time. Anybody excited about tonight's game? And I know that you who are the most excited will be in church. You're going to record it and then go home and skip the commercial so you can watch the game. Amen? All right, Pastor, I'm leaving already. You made me mad. Well, today is game time. It is, uh, and it goes along well with the message because when we think about the game, uh, you know, there's a lot of elements in the game we're going to bring into the message today. But as we look at the book of John in chapter number two, this is the beginning of Christ's ministry. And it is the, right at the beginning here of all that God is doing. And there's a little bitty thing that happens right at the beginning that makes a big difference for the next three and a half years. And as Jesus began his, his ministry here and as he began his earthly ministry, because I remind you, he's eternal, right? So his ministry didn't begin, begin here. It began in eternity past. He's always been a part of all that's gone on. But here it begins his earthly ministry And it is an exciting thing as we see Jesus Christ begin in this moment to demonstrate to us that He is God. And so I want to just encourage you here along the way because as we look at John chapter 2, there's three revelations of Christ that are shared. We're going to look at the first one today as we look at this beginning of miracles. And it's really like the kickoff in the game. It's right at the beginning of all that's going on. And so we, chapter 2 begins with the word and, and this word and ties us back to uh, chapter number 1 and all that's going on there. Remember, in chapter number 1, we were introduced to John the Baptist. John the Baptist was, uh, was baptizing disciples. He was uh, baptizing unto repentance and calling people to the Lord and saying, you need to repent and be baptized you. And so we see this message then uh, is where we were introduced to Christ. And he points at Christ and says, behold the Lamb of God. It was a declaration made. And so uh, there was a delegation that met. We saw the declaration. And here we have, in this moment, uh, just a few days later, from all that happened, ties directly into John chapter 2. And we're going to read verses 1 through 11. But before we do, let me just point out something here real quick on this map here. You'll see that where we, we started with last week was in uh, right here near the Jordan River. And so as we journey with Jesus together, what we're seeing is that He's begun His ministry at the baptism here at Bethany beyond Jordan. And so we see that this is a place where John was doing some baptizing. And so uh, as we see here then, and today we're going to pick up the, the, the journey with Christ in Cana. And so this is where we're going to be located today, just to the north and to the east of where He would have been before. And so it would have taken a couple of days to, to walk and to get there to Cana. And so where we're picking up now is at a wedding feast and at this opportunity. Uh, And so let's jump into the narrative in John chapter 2 and verse number 1. And we're going to read these 11 verses together from the Word of God together. It says, In the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. And Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. And his mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone, after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. And Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now, and bear unto the governor of the feast." And they bear it. 
And when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called to the bridegroom, and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. Now this beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee, and manifested his, uh, forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. Let's have a word of prayer together, shall we? So, Father, we come before you and we thank you for this beginning of miracles. A series of signs, Lord, that John has showed us that our faith might be strengthened. And, Lord, we might courageously uh, endeavor to follow you. God, what a joyful time and opportunity it is to be able to just jump into this, uh, this place and see that Jesus is the answer. Lord, to every problem... Every sin, Lord, He brings with Him victory. And to that we pause today and give you thanks for all that you've done. And pray now, Lord, as we just turn our hearts to you, that you would remove distractions and help us, Lord, to be able to hear from heaven. And that, Lord, as your Spirit so moves in our hearts, God, that we would also be led and be willing to follow. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look here in the text today, we just, just find a Jesus at a joyful time. It's a time of jubilation, a time of excitement, and, and, and you know, this is a moment where I, there's a lot of good things happening. And, 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 you know, truly, I remember back in my wedding and all of the joyful things that happened nearly 20 years ago, and I remember one thing, and that's Kristen. That's all I can remember. I can't remember a lot of the, who was there, except for my mom, who was on the front row crying, I remember that. She had tears running down, and I remember that, that moment. But, you know, I just remember the bride as she came down the, 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 the walkway there, and I remember the, the excitement, the, the jubilation. It was a fest, uh, just a great festivity uh, for all of our family and friends. You know, I, I'm thankful for this moment, too, in Scripture that God's recorded. Because as we look at John chapter number uh, 2, this is a small thing that happens, but it had a big impact. It was just a little moment where God produced a miracle, but this little moment uh, was something that built the faith of the disciples. And I want you to, to see that in your life, oftentimes God works like that. And He allows us to see little miracles in the moment that sometimes we may not even recognize as miracles as such, but later down the line, we look back and say, wow, look what God has done. And if God is faithful there, He'll be faithful here. You see, because I, I know personally in my life I have seen God... Uh, do tremendous things. What to, the casual observer would look at and say, well, that's just a little thing. I look back and I rem, I'm reminded of when our building was given to us in my, uh, in my home church. We were about to lose it due to the finances. We couldn't pay the bill. We couldn't get a loan. We couldn't do anything. And we were about to lose our building. And we just prayed. And by faith, God gave us our building back. Now, nobody else in the community knew what was going on, except probably the banker. But our church knew. And it was little to the rest of the community, but it was huge to us. Or, or maybe later down the road in my life when, when God allowed me to see my mom and dad who were on the, on the verge of, of divorce come back together and find reconciliation and healing in their marriage. You know, those little things to the casual observer, they'd see those things and they'd say, man, this is, this is no big deal. I mean, anybody can see the marriage restored, but I'm telling you, as a little boy, as a young man, uh, small in his faith, these were big things in my life. And so many times in our life, as we look back, we can, we can look back and, 
in confidence, see God working. And God worked here, and God worked here, and God worked here. And as God reminds us of those incredible moments in our life, it builds our faith so that as we look forward in the future, we know that He will be there as well. As John had, uh, Jesus had previously been with John, now He was here at the wedding. And so if you will, this is a kickoff. You know, you know what I mean? The NFL game is about to begin. All the preliminaries are over. The teams are lined up on the field. You've got your kickoff team. You've got your receiving team. And these guys, these special teams are on the field, and they're excited about this moment. And everyone is waiting for the moment when the toe of the kicker hits the football. You know what I mean? Peyton plays some football. Do you play special teams? Do you play receiving? Kickoff, okay, you play a receiver, all right. So here he is on the receiving team, and they're excited. Where's that ball going to go? And everyone's looking, everyone's watching. They're anticipating this very moment. And the coin toss is over. The band has played their thing. The anthem has been sung. All of these great things have happened. And now the game is underway. As soon as that toe hits the ball, it soars through the air, and the game is, on, is afoot, as Dr. Watson would say. And if we look at all of this, this is where we are in the life of Jesus and in his ministry. It all begins right here. And this is a joyful event, a great place for him to begin as he begins to demonstrate that he is God. Jewish tradition uh, demonstrates a couple of things that we're going to learn about from uh, this marriage of Cana. Uh, there was this event that happened was not a 20-minute and done ceremony, but instead something that had been building over time. And this was the culmination of months of anticipation, of months of betrothal. And this was the finally, the groom had finished the preparations for the house, had prepared the preparations for all that was happening. And now they rejoice together, the community and the, the family and the friends are drawn together in this joyful feast. They go from the feast and, and they, they go down to the groom's home. And I tell you, it's a joyful celebration for all those those were involved. And tradu Jewish tradition requires that virgins were married on a Wednesday, widows would have been married on a Thursday. And so Jesus here, we recognize that this was the Wednesday following all that had happened before, three days later. In John chapter 2, in verse 1 it says, And, tying it to the previous chapter, the third day, there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee. And so we see that there's three days had passed, and Jesus was invited to come. I love to, to be able to go and to be able to spend time with people. Good fellowship is, is a lot of uh, fun. Uh, I'm I just reminded in verse number 2, it says, Both Jesus was called and His disciples. And so these seven gathered together and began to go toward this, this wedding. And as they gathered there at Cana, family and friends were probably there. We know His mother was there and they're patting each other on the back and giving hugs. Remember those days? And they just were able to celebrate together. But He was just invited to watch. It says, come be a spectator. Come enjoy. Come celebrate with us. I've never been to an NFL game. I'm sure many of you have here today. Uh, but uh, I've been to a lot of high school games. And over the years as I go to the high school games, I, I, from band, playing in band as a high schooler to uh, as a youth pastor watching these games and these kids on the field, it was just always a lot of fun being as a spectator. You know, you're in the, in the game. Now, it's a, it's a little easier to watch from home, a lot cheaper. But when you go be a spectator... And you're in this stadium with these thousands of people around you. And they're on their feet. And they're hollering. And they're yelling. And I'm grateful. I noticed I was checking people for Gatorade on the way in. No one brought any to dump on me today. So I'm thankful. Gene Wiltshire, who was in our first service, threatened to throw Gatorade on me this morning. Uh, just in light of the NFL game today. 
But I, I just reminded as a spectator, we get excited and we get wrapped up into the game and we're like, man, what an exciting thing. Our team made a, a touchdown and we, 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 we uh, joyfully cry out and we, we hoot and we holler and we, uh, we play the, uh, all kinds of instruments will sound. You know, John the Baptist had baptized Jesus and there wasn't many people there. Jesus began his ministry and there wasn't many people there. But this ministry had a lasting impact. I think about Christ's ministry, if you will. He was a, men, he was a person who was involved in, in the life of people. John the Baptist, while like a recluse, was kind of hidden out in the wilderness. You know what I mean? He was just kind of hidden away. Here was Jesus Christ invited to the social gatherings and in the temple teaching. And he was found in other social events. And a matter of fact, he was so involved with people and the lost that they, he would be accused of, of uh, being a sinner. He says in Luke chapter 15 and verses 1 and 2, it says, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. Listen, the, the elites, the religious of their days, they were looking at him saying, Listen, obviously he's a sinner if he's going to gather with them. This week we were able to catch up with one of our missionaries and we were able to share some of the, uh, uh, the trials that he's been through over the last few, few months. And he was able to share with me the report on the field. And I just was encouraged by uh, all that God was doing in his life and his family life and in his ministry. And as we, we chatted with him a little bit this week, he was telling me about a, a situation that had happened in his life, uh, specifically to one of his children. And as he shared with me, he, he, he just shared... Uh, how God worked so miraculously in, his, in one of his children's life. And his children, child was in a low point in their life. And as they uh, found themselves in the bar running from the Lord, God put in their path a group of Christian ladies who cho chose to go into that bar to find ladies like her and witness to her. And God used this unique ministry to lead her to, to the gospel and she was gloriously saved. And her life was changed forever. It reminded me so much of the, the ministry of our Lord who went into the normal circumstances of life and went into these highways and the byways and the hedges and He compelled them to come in. He was the one who was willing to leave the glories of heaven and come to this earth. He was the one that was willing to be counted with sinners so that He might save some. He said, I'm come to seek and to save the lost. That was what Jesus' calling was in His life. And, and as He entered into this normal, everyday experience, His presence sanctified that whole place. I'm thankful for those young couples who want to make Christ a part of their family. I'm thankful for those young couples that want to make Christ a part of uh, even their ceremony. Man, I'm, I'm thankful for uh, like young couples. I just recently, I was thinking of Jacob and Kinsey and that precious ceremony we got to enjoy this summer together as this young couple came and exchanged their vows before us and the Lord. And, and as we gathered as a church family, I just remember uh, thinking, Lord, they have intentionally made this all about you in the whole marriage ceremony. They're not the only one. They're, they're just the most recent one that came to mind. And we've had other couples that have done the same thing. And they said, listen, we want Christ to be in the center of our ceremony. We want Christ to be the center of our life. We want Christ in the center of all this because when Christ comes into a normal circumstance, He makes it something very precious. And so Christ was at this wedding. His six disciples that had already chosen to follow Him and he enters in and his mother, the Mary, the mother of Jesus, 
apparently had some sort of a role in this wedding. So it was, it was attached to his family, and he says in verse 3, And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said unto him, They have no wine. And so she's introduced in this, in this narrative, and she obviously has some sort of authority, and she, she sees there's a problem, and she sees there's something going on. Now, a wedding in those days was a big celebration. Uh, I mentioned a while ago that most of our wedding ceremonies, 20 minutes, and we're done. You know, if it goes 30 minutes, we're squirming, we're looking for the cake and the punch at the end, amen? But this was a big celebration, and so what happened was at the end of this betrothal on this Wednesday, they would gather the family of the friends and those that were called to the wedding feast, and they would come into this wedding, and they would have a great celebration of, and feasting, and later that evening, there was a ceremony that took place following the feast. And then they would have a big, uh, a big procession that goes from the fe- uh, place of feast to the home of the groom. And all everyone would come and it was like a big ticker tape parade and the, the t- town would turn out and they would sing and they would dance and they would, it would be a joyful, noisy parade and they would enter into this house of the groom where the gr- bride and the groom would live. And that entertainment would continue for the next week. As they would come, people come in and out through the home and they would entertain people and they would be able to, to, to joyfully celebrate what God was doing in this beautiful place. And they would pray together and they would have a great time. And there was this, all of this was, had deep symbolism and meaning in the religious life of the Jew. As a matter of fact, the Old Testament deals with this. The Old Testament talks about the, the, the fact that, that uh, Israel was like the bride of Christ and they would be married together. And every time that they left the Lord, it was like she played the, the role of the harlot and she would go against her groom. And so God points at this in Hosea chapter 2 and verse number 7 as he deals with this picture that is made here. And he says, And she shall follow after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them, and she shall seek them, but shall not find them. This, then shall you say, I will go and return to my first husband, talking about the Lord, for, uh, for then was it better with me now uh, than now. And so we see that, that there is a symbolism in the Old Testament that Israel, even in this marriage ceremony, was wed to the Lord, the wed to Yahweh. And as we see this taking place here, it was a beautiful picture as well that God plays out later as well in the Scripture. Isaiah chapter 62 in verse number 5. There is a, a messianic passage here that deals with this. It says, For as a young man marrieth a virgin, so shall my, thy son marry thee. And as the bridegroom rejoiceth over the bride, so shall thy God rejoice over thee. And so this is a picture of what is even yet to come today. In Ephesians chapter 5, we see the picture of the bride of Christ, which is the church today. And the local independent church, as we look forward, we recognize that God is going to one day wed us to our groom. In Revelation chapter 19, he speaks of that marriage. And this is yet future tense. He says in verse number 7, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come. And his wife hath made herself ready. What a joyful day that will be. And I tell you, as a church, I look forward to this event. We will be forever united with our Lord, with our Savior. We will be forever united in marriage to our, uh, to our groom. What a joyful thing this will be. And it's so poignant that the beginning of Christ's ministry begins with a marriage. 
And as we look forward in that future tense, there will also be a marriage where all those who have called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in repentance for salvation will also be joined to Christ in that moment. And it will be a forever done thing. What a wonderful thing it will be. And Christ enters this marriage. He enters as the groom. And He invites you to be His bride. There will be no divorce, no sorrow. It will be perfect. But in John chapter 2, there was a little bit of a fumble. You know what happens with a fumble, right? Everyone in the crowd goes, oh. The receiver's embarrassed. The quarterback, if he dropped the ball, was embarrassed. Uh, maybe it's the, the center. I played center and I dropped the ball. I'm going to tell you straight up. I was awful. But I, I just... When, we, when you think about that, those guys on the field, if that ball is fumbled and it's, on, and, and, and it's a live ball on the field, everyone is scrambling for that ball. And they're doing everything they can to jump on that ball and be the first one to tackle it. And they're just excited about that. that and everyone's attention's turned to that dog pile in the middle of the field. Who has the ball, right? One of our favorite parts about football is seeing people get hurt. Don't lie. You know it's true. <laughs> Surely. Amen. <laughs> Oh, man, I remember when Alabama hurt uh, Colt McCoy. I'll never forget that. But, you know, in this moment, that's the wedding, there was a fumble that had happened. In verse number 3, Jesus comes to him, or Jesus was standing there in the wedding, and his mother came to him and said, they don't have any wine. Now, this is a pretty embarrassing moment because this would be, uh, this was a sacred duty for the family of the bridegroom to provide ample refreshments for all that were in attendance. And so she comes to him and says, listen, I have a problem. Well, he's just, he's just there. What's he supposed to do? I'm going to take a little break on that thought, so chew on it just for a minute. But let me just deal with an issue that comes up in John chapter 2 very quickly. And you could, we could spend a lot more time dealing with this and expounding the Scriptures, but I just want to touch on it briefly. You can look in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 23. We'll be in there in just a moment. And I want you to look at this in your Bible with me. It will be on the screen but if you have your Bible, turn those pages and, and, and just look at this with me just a moment. A lot of people go to John chapter 2 and they say, Listen, Jesus made wine, therefore it's good and it's okay to drink. You know, I, I believe that we have a misunderstanding of the situation of what had happened. You see, the word wine is a, is a word that is used for both grape juice, a non-alcoholic beverage, as well as the alcoholic beverage in the Scriptures. And so what we find here is the only way, the way to discern uh, which God is referring to is by looking at the context of the conversation and what is happening in that situation. And so we're going to go to Proverbs chapter 23 where we have a, a, a very plain teaching regarding alcoholic beverages uh, and, and those things. And so I just want to just share these things with you and, and from the Scriptures. And I want to ask you to set aside all prejudices and just listen to the Word of God and let Him teach you this morning uh, and be willing to say, Okay, God, this is an area that I want to, be, uh, I want to just follow you in. And so... Proverbs 23 and verse 29. It says, Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine. They that go to, to seek mixed wine. Look not upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth, moveth itself aright at the last... 
It biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Now, let me just go back here and share with you a couple of truths out of this. Think about the effects of an alcoholic beverage, if you will, on me, uh, uh, with me for just a moment. First off, we know that it affects us, right? Amen. And we see that it creates some problems in our life. And he says, who hath woe? And he deals with this, those sorrows, because it creates uh, drastic mood swings in people. Who hath contentions? It causes some people to become angry. Who hath babblings? It causes some people to lose their mind and do uh, really foolish things and say some very foolish things. Who hath wounds without cause? Because obviously, as we think about the, the effects of alcohol, it causes us to maybe lose our uh, ability to balance. He says, who hath redness of eyes, it shows itself even in the pupils. He says, they that tarry long at the wine. Now, grape juice doesn't do this to us, so we know that in the context here, he's dealing with an alcoholic beverage in this. And so he says, they that go to seek mixed wine, and then he defines it even further in the next verse, look not upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. That's a fermentation that has happened here in this drink. And he says, listen, he says, don't even look upon it at this point. So when we go to John chapter 2, and we're trying to discern what is God talking about here, he doesn't define and say, don't look, uh, that it doesn't define in this context exactly whether he made alcoholic or non-alcoholic. So that's the question. Then people say, listen, he could have made anything. He made wine. Of course, it's good to drink. And let me just say, if God says in Proverbs chapter 23 that it is not even good to look at it, he wouldn't have created alcoholic beverage in John chapter 2. And so as we look at this in John chapter 2, you, we cannot with, with clear conscience come to this and say, God has validated a use of alcohol where God has not validated it. Because in Proverbs chapter 23, other places we can, do, we can spend a lot of time dealing with this, and that's not the intention of this, but I did want to touch on that this morning. Because as a church, I believe that God has called us to be separate. God has called us to come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, but so that the world may know that we are His. Let your light so shine in this, in this world that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You see, that's the reality that God is calling us to. And then Ephesians 5.18, we recognize when that He says, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And so God is teaching us that when we're filled with the Spirit of this world, that we cannot be filled with the Spirit of, God, of Christ. And so I want to encourage you, and it's not just alcohol today, though. It was the predominant drug of the day of, the, of biblical times. But we can make the same application with anything that impairs our ability to follow Christ. In Washington State, we have legalized or decriminalized all drugs. God help us. We are at a, an alarming rate pushing ourselves to the brink of destruction. Listen, if you didn't grow up in a home of an alcoholic or a home of a drunkard, let me just say, you have no idea the ability that it has to destroy a life. I know Pastor Tolbert has shared many times about his own experiences. And I just, I know if he could tell you today, he would tell you, tell you exactly what I'm sharing with you this morning. Do not subject your life or your children to that. Not only does it destroy your family, but it destroys your relationship with God, which is a bigger loss. But I'm thankful that God gives grace in the moment. I'm thankful for the grace of God, wonderful grace of Jesus, greater than all my sin. Isn't that good? 
You know, Grace, as a Dallas Cowboys fan, allows me to continue to be a fan. 25 years since we have been able to win a Super Bowl, and yet uh, Dallas Cowboy fans are still as devoted as ever. That's right. I got one back there. It's still America's team, still as broken-hearted Texas. And that's all because of grace, because the reality is the numbers don't put up the, the it, there's, there's no reason you should be a fan in the last 25 years. Let me just say, though, that when we look at this story, we see the grace of God displayed so incredibly. It was the mother of Jesus who looks to Jesus Christ, and, and she says in her desperation and her anxiety and all the problems that she was facing, she looks around her and he sees her son, this, this, this son that she knew uh, more than anybody else. Listen, she knew Christ. Christ hadn't revealed himself to the world. John the Baptist, just a few days before, several miles away, had said, Behold the Lamb of God. There was not Twitter to be able to get three million likes and shares and all of these things. And it was just the word of mouth. It was just the testimony of others that proclaimed the gospel. And, and here he was. Uh, at this, this marriage uh, uh, supper and he was there at this feast and, and he was just in the corner maybe talking with people and saying how's your day how's your family and he was visiting and he was just being there and being sociable and as the Savior uh, he, just, he was just trying not very nondescript at that point and, and she comes to him and says Jesus I need you no one else knew why she would have gone to him. No one else would have recognized him because when we looked upon Jesus, even Isaiah 53 says that, listen, they looked upon him in whom was no form nor comeliness that we should even desire him. It wasn't like that he was, there was someone that stood out in the crowd. He was just an everyday, ordinary looking man. But, but the mother of Jesus knew differently. How many mothers do we have in here? Are your kids special? Some of you say, you have no idea, Pastor. <laughs> Our kids are special. And we think, I have the most wonderful kids in all of the world. At least you better think that. But the reality is, is that Mary really had a special child. I mean, she knew it. She knew that Jesus was above average. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know about you, but I, as a t parent, sometimes I get tired of the discipline aspect of, uh, of things. I remember the first time I had to discipline Asa. And I think I cried more than he did. It was just not easy. I just, I just, I, I sat there and, and I held him and I said, I'm sorry I have to do this. I don't want to do this. And I cried with him. He cried, I cried, and it was terrible. I, I said, I don't want ever want to do that again. I've had to do it again. But Mary never had that experience. She never had to punish Jesus. Can you imagine that, parents? She never had to spank him. She never did any of those things. She never put him in the corner. She never did any of these things. He was perfect. Do you imagine me and James coming along behind Jesus? She said, why can't you just act like Jesus? <laughs> because I'm not Jesus. <laughs> and so Mary, when she has this problem, she looks to Jesus and she says, help me. I need your help. Amongst all that was going on, amongst all that she had seen, she'd seen the angels at his birth. She'd seen the Lord conceived. She'd seen the angels even pronounce he would be there. She'd seen all of this. He knew, she knew he was the, the Messiah. And she was saying, listen, it's time for you to do your stuff. Stop monkeying around. You're 30 years old. Get out and get a job. That's the message of parents today, amen? Listen, she, but she looked in the corner and she saw Jesus. She said, help me. 
and her anxiety and her, maybe she had a Martha type of a spirit where she was busy serving, busy working, and she said, I don't know how all this is going to happen, and I don't know how we're going to find what we need. This is going to be an embarrassment to us and our family. We're going to be talked about for months and weeks to come. Can you believe, Mary, what a lousy planner she was? She didn't have enough wine at the wedding. And she turns to the Messiah, and she says, help. Aren't you thankful that we can come to Christ in the same spirit. We can find grace in that moment of our need and say, God, help me. God, right now, in this moment, I can't do it on my own. I can't continue with my own abilities. God, I just need you more than anything else in my life. And I'm so thankful that the Lord responded in grace. Now, you look at Christ's response with me in verse 4. And Jesus saying unto her, woman, that's how we read it, don't we? Many of us read it like that. Don't lie. You're like, I don't, Pastor. I'm too spiritual for that. We read that part of the scriptures, and when we, especially, especially when we're having fun as a, as a family, we're reading the Bible together, and, and we'll say, Woman, what have I to do with thee? That wasn't his response at all. This was a term of endearment. It was a term that said, Listen, I'm God, I'm infinite in my knowledge, I'm divine. You're a woman. Not just, not just, you're just, you're just woman. I'm God. He was making a distinction here. It was seen as well on the cross in John chapter 19 and verse 26. The only other time we see this use, he says, And when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple, who was the apostle John here, standing by, whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. It wasn't, it wasn't a hateful, derogatory sense. It was very loving and endearing to his, his mother. As we see this, we see His grace that is extended. He says, listen, He could have walked away and said, listen, it's not my turn. It's not my time. But Mary's faith, I'm just so encouraged. Aren't you encouraged when you see people of great faith? I love to see people who just trust the Lord. You know, times are tough, but God is good. You know, and that's where she was. As He answered her, verse 5, it says, Whatsoever He saith unto you, her response was, do it. If he says, go milk the cow, go milk the cow and give it to the governor. If he says, fill the pots, he says, she says, fill the pot and give it to the governor. No matter what he says, he says she says, you do it. He says, he is now your, he's now in charge of you. He is your master, if you will. And you know, I'm reminded that God is still offering that kind of grace that he demonstrated because as he sat there in verse number six, and there were set there six water pots, and he said, fill and serve. His, he showed grace to his mother and grace in the situation. And God, by grace, is still calling people to be saved. It says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, maybe you know this. If you know it, you can read it along with me. Would you read it out loud? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Listen, we read that, we know that, we've memorized that, but let me just say that, that it is God's grace that offers salvation today. It is not through my works or my ability or humanism or any other thing. It is only by His grace that He offers you complete and total forgiveness from your sins. And when you come to Him and say, God, I can't, and Lord, I repent, but I believe you can, and I trust that you will. Listen, that's what God does today. And He offers grace the moment you call upon Him for salvation. Now I want to just share with you one last idea here as we come to the close of John chapter 2 in this miracle. Because glory goes to the victor, doesn't it? As the guests would arrive to the wedding, 
these water pots would be set out on a, on a ledge there and, and they would arrive and they would have to go through a ritual purification. Every Jew would do this. And so much like mothers tell their kids, go wash your hands before you eat, well, it was, it was demanded by the law that they go and wash their hands. There was a ritual uh, and they would have to come and these, these uh, six water pots that were lined out would be lined out full of water so that the guests could come and they would be able to cleanse their hands in preparation for the meal to follow. This happened uh, on a regular basis every day. This was a purification rite. It was an external act, and it was, it was symbolism in many respects of the purifying act of what God does. But listen, no external act can truly purify anybody. You can get baptized 35 times, but it doesn't mean that you're truly saved. It only comes when Christ cleanses the, us from the inside out. And that's why we recognize that it's not by what I can do, but by grace we're saved through faith. It is God that does the cleansing. It's God that does the refreshing. It's God that does the purifying. And so as we look at these, this old ritual had no power, but God uses these pots. Isn't that amazing? And God says, listen, take these six water pots that are now empty because the law is empty and its rituals are empty. I want you to do something. I want you to fill them with what I command you to fill them with. He filled them with the water. I love the, the fact that the, the Word of God is a symbolism. We see that in the water there. And as he says, uh, he, he, takes, he says, take those things, fill them with the water, and then serve them to the governor. And it's what Christ did that makes it the, the miracle here. Listen, most people who were there at this, at this moment, they saw the groom, they saw the bride, they saw the, the festivities going on, they saw the things that were happening, but the reality was that they didn't have a clue of what was happening. This was going on behind the scenes. You ever, ever anyone had to plan a wedding? A couple of you, all right, good. How many of you enjoy planning the wedding. The planning? Okay, good. I've got some people. That's good. Some people are like super uh, organizers, and that's awesome. It's your gift. Uh, but what I've noticed is as a pastor, there's something unique that happens to this wonderful bride. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, and she, she is this wonderful, glowing person, but the day of the wedding or the night before is like, wow. And it's all the stress of all the moment and everything that's going on. And we understand that. But when she comes down that aisle, she wants everything to be perfect. And let me just say, if you're about to get married, and we have a young couple that just, uh, just proposed right over here. Everett asked Jessica to be his bride, and she said no. <laughs> no, she said yes. And they're, they're looking forward to being married. And as, as they... Come, she wants everything to be perfect and the, the, the decorations have to be right and people have to be set in the right place and the music has to be right and everything has to be perfectly right. Let me just say, the, sometimes the devil's in the details. Focus on the purpose. Focus on the person. And in this moment, that's what happened at this wedding. Everyone was focusing on the event and a lot of people missed the miracle in this moment. 
And they missed what God was doing behind the scenes. And they missed this wonderful thing that God was doing, that Christ had performed this miracle in this moment. But his disciples were watching, and God used this little bitty thing that as they watched him, and they're just like watching, what's he going to do? He's going to serve wine to the governor. That's going to be so humiliating. What is he thinking? I thought he was 30. I thought he knew what he was doing. But as they looked at all that was going on, they saw and the, they, the governor drink this, this cup of this juice. And as he drank it, he said, whoa, whoa, whoa. He said, get the groom over here. And they talked to him. He says, don't you know what you're supposed to do? This is supposed to come out first, not last. And the disciples looked at each other and they're like, did you see that? Did you see what was going on here? You know, this miracle, the moment most people miss, I don't even think the governor was aware of it in the moment of what had happened, but, but all the disciples, these servants, these ones that would have been pouring into, these ones that have been serving and laboring for the Lord, they looked around and they said, look at what God just did. Here he is in the midst of us, here at this wedding. Glory to God in the highest. Amen. Don't miss the moment. Don't miss what God wants to do. Tonight, the world will celebrate a victor. Thousands, maybe millions will watch the game. I'm planning on coming to church. That's a plug for church at 6 o'clock tonight. And as I come, and after church, we might go home and watch it, but everyone will watch. Can Mahomes pull it off? Will Brady get another ring for his right, heavy fingers? And the world will celebrate... The moment the, the clock runs out, there will be a victor. Someone will win. Some will go home in defeat. Some will go home to ticker tape parades. And people will rejoice. And the world will celebrate. But you know, as a church, we have reason to celebrate as well. Every Sunday is a reminder that we have a Lord who is resurrected. Amen? Every Sunday we have a reminder that Jesus Christ is victor over death. He, is, he receives all the glory, and glory goes to the victor today. When, when that one sinner comes to the Lord and says, Listen, I am a sinner and I need salvation and I repent of my sins. And when he comes to the Lord and says, God, I can't, but I trust that you can and I trust that you will. Then I'm reminded that, that that is a reason to celebrate. All the angels in heaven rejoice. And as a church, we rejoice over one sinner that repents. And I just want to encourage you today that, that God is calling us to, to not miss the miracle of the moment. Maybe it's not big. Maybe the CNN won't pick it up. Maybe, maybe the world won't know. But I'm telling you, as a people of God, we've got to celebrate those wonderful moments moments of where God works together. Because I remind you that Christ brings victory. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. About a week ago, Jim Pickens went home to be with the Lord. Now, you don't know Jim Pickens. I didn't know Jim Pickens, but I went to his funeral yesterday because of Karen Pickens, one of our members. It was her dad. 91 years old, he had made an impact in the life of many, many people. Preachers, Church planners, missionaries, all gave, stood up to give, give testimony to the fact of this man of God. Now, he wasn't a man of God necessarily where he was ordained or anything of that nature. He was just a layman in the church. He'd served as a deacon. He'd served as a treasurer. He'd served as a repairman. He'd just done all kinds of things. He just said, listen, I just want to serve my Savior. And as, as the preacher got up, Brother Kevin Kolb got up, and he shared a little bit about his testimony, a little bit about his life. He said he came to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 and, then, and following, and he shared the victory that Brother Pickens enjoys today. 
Because there is victory in Jesus Christ. I want you to look there in your Bibles with first, in 1 Corinthians 15. I want you to read with me verses 50 through 58 as we're reminded of the victory that God gives us and that is bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. When Christ, was, uh, when Christ died and He was buried and He rose again, He bought with that our victory so that we don't have to wonder or doubt or question or struggle today because we have victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 50, it says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because we're sinners. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, in the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed." For this corruption, corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So therefore, as a result of this truth, as a result of the victory that we have, my beloved brethren, you at Hillside Baptist Church today, be ye steadfast, be unmovable, be abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Listen, we live in a time where the devil wants you to feel defeated and dejected and destroyed, but I remind you that we have victory through our Lord Jesus Christ today. He is the one that says, church, don't give up. Don't, don't, don't get sidetracked. Don't, don't uh, uh, look at something else, but instead keep your eyes upon the Lord. Watch the miracle in the moment. See God do things that we can never imagine because we know that He is the one that offers victory today. And I invite you today that if you don't know Him as your Savior, that today you can put your faith in Him. You can call upon Him and be gloriously saved today. You see, because salvation is offered to everyone. Salvation is offered to you this morning. If you don't know if you're saved or lost, Jesus Christ died so that you can know that you have eternal life. The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the promise of God. And I urge you right now this morning, even as we go into invitation to say, God, I'm ready tonight. I'm ready this morning to be saved. I'm ready to put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and right now to call upon Him and say, God, I'm a sinner. I cannot get to heaven on my own. I recognize that, I, that it's impossible for me to do this through anything else except for Jesus Christ. For neither is there salvation in any other name except for the name of Jesus today. And call upon Him and say, God, I repent of my sins and I put my faith upon You. You are God alone and I believe that you died, you buried, and rose again so that I might have eternal life. You see, God offers that salvation to you. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And this morning, God offers that for you this morning. Here in just a moment, we're going to have a hymn of invitation. And as that music begins and we have a word of prayer, I'm going to invite you to stand. And as we stand, I invite you to come forward and, and say, Pastor, I know this morning I need to be saved. This morning I, I, I've been putting this off, I've been putting this off, but no, this morning I've been convicted and I know I'm missing the moment of God's miracle of work in my life and I'm ready to put my faith in Christ today. Listen, that's your opportunity this morning.
Christian, maybe you have gotten sidetracked by the celebration and you've gotten sidetracked uh, dealing with all of these things in the world. And I just want to draw you back to the Savior and keep your eyes upon Him and say, listen, in our anxiety and in all, all of our, our distractions, that He is the one that we need to keep our eyes upon. And just as the disciples look there, and maybe it's going to be a small thing that happens that God does in your life. But as God works that miracle of the moment in your life, I'm telling you, He's going to build your faith and strengthen you so that you can continue to know that in the future, God is always always able.